0: to see all of you here this morning and uh, if you have your Bibles go with me to Luke chapter 15 and uh, shout out to all of you that are in the loft uh, watching on the screen this morning. Thank you so much for flexing with us this summer as we modify our worship while our worship center is being uh, renovated and uh, so excited to be with all of you this morning. On Father's Day. Today is a special day for us to recognize our dads and granddads and just to celebrate all of the men in our lives who have made such an impact. And so for all of the dads and the grandfathers, all the men that are leading spiritually and taking on the role and responsibility of shepherding your family and others in light of your faith, I just want to say thank you. And I think the greatest evidence of your doing that this morning is that you are leading your family here at church. And so shout out to all the dads, ladies. I pray that you spoil the men in your life. In fact, ladies, if you would just help me celebrate uh, the guys that are in your life today, I appreciate that very much. Okay, I'm just going to be honest. Very underwhelming, girls. Very underwhelming. (laughs) I'm with you guys. uh, We're in this together. All right, we're going to get through it. Hey, I also want to give you a quick update. As I mentioned a moment ago, we are flexing for nine weeks this summer, uh, uh, modifying uh, our worship gathering in, uh, in this room and then obviously our overflow venue in the loft next door. Uh, That is for our Proclaim initiative. And I wanted to give you a brief update on where we are. Our Proclaim initiative is something our church launched early this year, uh, stepping out by faith, believing God for an opportunity to expand some facility space in an effort to accommodate all the growth that he is entrusting to us. I want to thank all of you that have been so generous in pouring out and into this great work of God. also want to challenge you if you have not yet had an opportunity, we are still a little short of our goal and we really need your help to close that gap. So if you have questions about Proclaim, our staff would love to buy you a cup of coffee and talk to you about that. Um, you can find out more information at Guest Central about Proclaim today and uh, what it is we're doing and why it is we're doing that. But I wanted to give you a construction update just so you can see some of the progress that's being made. On the screen behind me, you'll see several pictures. That includes the renovation of the worship space. You can see we've cut the stage down. We've modified the walls that are adjacent to the stage to make room for the baptistry. This is going to allow us to increase our seating capacity to well over 2,000 in that room. It's also going to allow us to update the technology um, so that we can enhance the worship experience. And then some of the smaller pictures, you can see we converted all of the administration staff office space into children's ministry space. They're already begun framing out those new children's ministry classrooms and then overhauling the children's check-in area. So it allows us to accommodate more guests more quickly as we grow our children's uh, ministry, And so if you have questions about Proclaim, uh, don't hesitate to ask anyone. We really do need your help to close uh, that gap. also wanted to take this morning as an opportunity for us as a church just to pause and to celebrate and appreciate. Every June is... Uh, the anniversary of our uh, pastor, Dr. Jack Graham. And so this year marks the 34th anniversary for Dr. Graham here at Prestonwood when God called he and Deb to serve and to lead us as a church. And I know one thing that would mean a great deal to him is if you think about it this week, if you would shoot a note, him, Just a note of appreciation, telling him how grateful you are for his 34 years of faithful ministry in our church. I know that would mean a great deal. If you want to drop those notes off here at the church office, we'll make sure they get delivered to him. If you want to shoot him an email, you can do so. All the information is there on our website. But it's something significant to celebrate 34 years of uh, faithful ministry in one uh, location. And so we want to honor our pastor for that. Now, this... Uh, morning we're starting a brand new sermon series and uh, we're going to cover the parables of Jesus this summer. And today's parable is found in Luke chapter 15 and that's the parable of the lost sheep. And what you'll notice about Luke chapter 15 is there's three subsequent parables, one right on top of the other. It's first this parable of the lost sheep, then followed by the parable of the lost coin, then followed by the parable of the prodigal son. All three of these parable stories of Jesus. I have to deal with the same subject, and that is the subject of lostness, because lostness is a reality. And there's two types of fundamental lostness there is lostness that is without salvation. And at one time that was every single one of us. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in our sin, we are eternally separated from God. We are lost without salvation. But for those of us who are in Christ, it is through his work that we have been found. We have been reconciled. And so there is a lostness without salvation. And then there's the lostness for someone who has wandered from salvation. And that is the prodigal son. He has wandered away from the things of God. He has wandered away from his understanding of who God is and the grace that God affords. And listen, I would say in this room, watching on the screen, there are people in both camps here this morning. There are some who are lost without salvation. There are others of you who have wandered from salvation. But in either case, You're lost, and lostness can be a scary thing. Lostness has one emotion when we lose things. It has an entirely different emotion when we know it involves people. I'll give you an example. So if you've lost your keys, that can make you frustrated. If you've lost a family heirloom, right, that can create sadness. Um, I play golf, and when you lose a ball, sometimes that can create the emotion of disappointment. I don't know what y'all were thinking I was going to say, okay? It has an entirely different emotion when you're talking about the lostness of people. Uh, some dear family friends of ours, uh, a few years ago in Longview, when we lived in East Texas, uh, this mom had her two sons with her shopping at the Old Navy uh, a store there in Longview. And it's not a part of a mall, it's a part of an, uh, a giant strip center, and it's the anchor tenant. So it's a very large uh, a store the Old Navy there in Longview and she had her boys they were little at the time uh, with her as, as she was shopping in the Old Navy And after a few minutes, she noticed her youngest, who was five or six years old at that time, uh, wasn't standing at her side. And so she sent his older brother, Camden, and they split up around the store and began to look for him. And so they're calling out, Kaysen, where are you? And, And now there's other parents that are hearing a mom call for her son. Parents, have you ever been that other parent? And all of a sudden, you hear somebody calling for a kid, and you're like, what's his name? I'll find him, right? And everybody gets involved, right? So then now other people are calling out, Kaysen, where are you? After four or five minutes, they can't load him so they get store management involved. And uh, and th- so they're on the walkie-talkie. Everybody's got earpieces. We're looking for a six-year-old little boy. His name is Kaysen. So now everybody's called, Kaysen, where are you? And now Amy's in full panic because it's been 10 minutes. She doesn't know where her son is. She runs outside of the store. She's screaming in the parking lot. She's panicked that something terrible or tragic has happened. At this particular shopping center, they actually have a drainage uh, channel right behind the store. So she's gone and running and looking into the drainage channel to see if maybe he's fallen or there's been some type of accident. Everybody's screaming. They're on the phone now. It's 15 minutes with the police department. And the police department says, close the store. We're declaring an atom alert. And so everybody's in full meltdown. The police are on their way. Everybody, these parents, every other parent is screaming, calling out for Cason. And a few minutes later, his older brother Camden says, I found him. You know, those giant circular clothes racks, and part, Camden parts the clothes rack, and right in the middle, sitting crisscross applesauce, is Cason going. <laughs> he was playing a joke on his mom the whole time, which is awesome, because he's not mine. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying? Like, every parent has had that moment where you've had this a little bit of separation from... A child, others of you maybe lost a a friend, or you've had a moment where lostness meant something significant, and the emotion is totally different when we're talking about the lostness of people versus the lostness of things. And what we're going to see today in this particular parable is Jesus is going to use this analogy of a shepherd and sheep, and what he's talking about is him and us. He's talking about the the reality of lostness for every person, those without salvation, those who have wandered away from it. But there is a shepherd who has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Luke chapter 15, uh, we're going to read. I'll stop and chat and then we'll uh, finish up the parable and we'll stop and talk about uh, some things specific to what I think God would want us to know. Luke chapter 15, start with me in verse number one. If you're there, say, I got it. Here we go. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. If you mark a highlight in your Bible, just underline that word grumbled for me and I'll tell you why in just a moment. And they grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Here's just a general rule. This is not germane to the sermon today. I just wanted to point this out as a general rule of thumb and the scriptures make this abundantly clear. Um, I think it is principled understanding that most often people who criticize others with success usually are critical because they have none of their own. Jesus was walking in great ministry success. He was walking in the favor of God and it frustrated those who were without it. And so you'll just notice some of you have been experiencing hate from other people, criticism from others. And I would just point out to you, rarely is someone doing better than you critical of you. It's usually those who are behind. You with me? Just a general rule of thumb. Pick it up in verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. If you mark or highlight in your Bible at the end of verse 5, underline that word, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. Underline that word, rejoice. For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you there will be more joy, underline that word joy, in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, this morning, the way I want us to study this particular parable is I want to first highlight for you what I think are characteristics of the two primary characters that Jesus uh, reveals to us in this particular parable of the lost sheep. We're going to highlight the characterization of the shepherd, and then we'll talk about some characteristics of the sheep. And then I want us to draw attention to the joy that is the obvious result when lost people get found. And and so I, I think there are two characteristics of the shepherd that are worth our paying attention to, especially when we're going to see in just a moment that Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. The first characteristic of the shepherd is this, that he leaves the 99 to go and find the one. Jesus came for a specific purpose, and that is to rescue, to reach, to redeem that which is lost. And how do we know that? Because the way he describes a good shepherd is one who is willing to leave the comfort and the convenience of all of those who remain in the fold and to pursue the one who wanders outside of it. He leaves to go and save. Here's the second characteristic of the shepherd, that he lays that sheep on his shoulder now think about this in terms of salvation notice that when this shepherd who's left the 99 to go and find the one that's lost when he finds that one that is lost he doesn't say get back in line where have you been what does he do he scoops up that lost sheep he puts that lost sheep on his shoulders and then he takes it back into the fold what the understanding is this, that God's grace is so great that it is not dependent upon us doing our work to get back into his fold, but rather his pursuit of us and then him doing the work for us that actually finds us so that we might be saved. These are the characteristics of the shepherd. Now, what do we know about the characteristics of the sheep? Well, I will tell you, I think there are three primary reasons. I could list a bunch more, but I think there are three primary reasons why sheep get lost. The first is this. Sheep are dumb. You know what I mean? Like sheep are dumb. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid the, on him the iniquity Of us all. Uh, Sheep sometimes get lost because sheep are dumb and they do dumb things. Now, I'm not saying because we're sheep that you're dumb. I'm saying we have all done dumb stuff. If you've ever done something dumb, raise your hand. If you don't have your hand up, that's dumb. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we've all done dumb stuff. I think back to just some of the things that I've done, some of the words that I've said, some of the thoughts that I've held. It's dumb, And there's no real way to explain it or understand it except to say that it's dumb. Well, why is that? Well, because I'm a sheep. And sometimes sheep do dumb stuff. I found a meme on the internet that I think best explains this. I want to show it to you. Turn your attention to the screen. Now, here's a shepherd who cares about a sheep that has fallen into a ditch. And so this shepherd gives of himself, sacrifices of himself to rescue this sheep. Now, look how excited the sheep is. That's us. That's us. Now, how many times, listen, we're dumb. How many times has God pulled us out of the ditch? You know what I'm saying? He's pulled us out of the ditch and we're like, woo, I did it. Bam, only to dive right back into that thing. Because that's what sheep do, right? And so sometimes lostness is the result of just sheep being dumb. I would say the second reason that sheep get lost is because they get distracted. We get distracted. Some of the distractions are actually good things, like uh, they can be relationships, um, uh, they can be opportunities, and, and, and listen, those aren't bad things. We won't demonize those things, but they can't be the main things, and so we can get d- distracted by those things, and, and as a result, it can create a lostness for us. But, but sometimes uh, the distraction is, is a fear, it's worry, um, it's anxiety, and, and Jesus dealt with this Um, In Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, when you're feeling yourself getting distracted by anxiousness or fear, just think about the birds that are flying up in the air. Think about the beautiful wildflowers that are growing out in the field. And if your father who uh, uh, makes them beautiful and provides for the food of the bird, if he takes care of those details, how much more will he then take care of you? right? And and so he says then, so how do we respond when the distraction of anxiety begins to take over leading to our potential lostness? Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things that you're stressing about will be added unto you. Because sometimes we get lost through distraction. And and then I would say lastly, I think sheep get lost uh, because we're directionless. Sometimes we're just absent of direction. In fact, I would tell you, uh, without God in our lives it doesn't matter which direction we're going it's not the right one this is why when Solomon wrote the Proverbs he, he said uh, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding in all of your ways acknowledge him and what's God gonna do he's gonna make straight your paths he's gonna provide direction and in the absence of God you're gonna run the risk of getting lost you're directionless so she'd get lost because they're dumb Sheep get lost because they get distracted and sheep get lost because they're directionless. But praise God, there is a shepherd who's come to rescue the sheep. In fact, Jesus would identify himself in John chapter 10 as not just a shepherd, but the good shepherd. And the way in which he has this conversation is he's explaining the relationship of God with his people. And he says, it's like a shepherd with sheep. And, and Jesus says, I relate to the sheep in a couple of different ways. One is, I'm the gate. So if the sheep come into the pen, I'm the gate by which they have to enter in order to be found into the fold. So Jesus is the gate. It's speaking to his exclusivity. In other words, you don't get into the fold if you haven't gone through faith in Jesus. But Jesus says, not only am I the gate that provides entry, but I am the gate that provides protection. Because there are going to be thieves that are going to try to get into the pen and create the scattering of the sheep and the devouring of others. And that's when Jesus launches in to John chapter 10 and verse 10 when he says that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy but I've come so that you may have life and have it abundantly and then he talks about how he is a shepherd to you and to me listen to what he says he says I the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now watch Jesus. But I am a good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, but I'm going to bring them in also that they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Nobody takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. In other words, Jesus is explaining the reason why he has come. He's come on a rescue mission as a good shepherd to save lost sheep, to pursue the lost sheep. And, and so as it relates to this parable of the lost sheep, we now know, okay, Jesus is identifying himself as the good shepherd and we are the sheep that get lost Then I want you to see what you and I know inherently, which is the emotion that comes as a byproduct of when we get found. The Bible explains explicitly, and that is the emotion of joy that is the result when people get saved. And so it's a fourfold joy, and I'm going to show it to you here in the text. The first is this. There is the joy of the person who is found. There is the joy of the person who is found. In a number of places, the Bible talks about the joy of salvation for the person who was lost and is found. I'll give you just a few. I could go on and on about this. But in Psalm chapter 51 and verse 12, the psalmist says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. When the apostle Peter writes 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9, he explains it this way. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Now watch. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In Psalm chapter 13 and verse five, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Listen, but I would even say scriptures are clear and beyond them, our testimony proves this is true, right? Because when you and I press pause And we think about what it is that God has done for us, as every single one of us was at one time a lost sheep. When you think about the good shepherd that came to rescue you, it should generate, it does generate a feeling, the emotion of overwhelming joy. And and we've all had that emotion physically, like when we've been found physically. I can remember growing up in the 80s in Waco, uh, there was a large department store Um, that was in a strip center, but it was like a Dillard's at that time. It was called Cox's. And uh, I remember it was where my mom used to take us when she was going to buy us church clothes. Did anybody grow up wearing church clothes? I had church clothes and I had play clothes. And if you ever played in your church clothes, you were going to get in trouble. And so it was the place where my mom took us to buy us church clothes. And I went with my brothers, with my mom, shopping for church clothes one day. And I have two brothers, an older and a younger. And so uh, Cox's turned out to be a great place to play hide and seek. And at one point, I hid, and I don't remember anybody ever coming to find me. This is what it's like being the middle child, I'm just going to (laughs) say. And after a while, I I just crept out of my hiding spot, and then I noticed my brothers were not nearby, and I could not find my mom. Now, I was little, so I had a hard time looking over the clothing racks. And so I was trying to walk around the aisles, and I was looking as far down this way as I could, and and my heart started to beat fast. In fact, I can still today feel that emotion of anxiousness and fear when I knew that I could not find my mom until I finally made my way far enough down one aisle in one direction where I could look all the way to the end of the store and there she was perusing through the shirts. And I had this feeling of being overwhelmed with joy. Now, what does it say that my mom wasn't looking for me? I'm just saying, (laughs) but I had this overwhelming feeling of joy because I was found. And I had this thought that there she is. There she is. There's mom. I'm fine. It's okay. I can breathe again. Now listen, that was significant physically, but how much more spiritually? When you recognize that the shepherd came to find you. Every single one of us was lost and without salvation at one point. And that shepherd came and he left the fold to hunt us down. C.S. Lewis says Jesus is the hound of heaven, and the hound of heaven is pursuing those who have left the flock, and he's coming to find us, and there is this overwhelming sense of joy. I can still, in fact, I still get emotional every summer when my family vacations in the mountains of Colorado because that's where Jesus showed up and saved me. That's where he saved me, and so I have this joy, this overwhelming sense of gratitude that nothing can take from me because of what God has done for me, because the shepherd found me when I was lost, and it yields a joy. There's a joy for the person who is found. Here's the second joy that this parable speaks of. There's joy for the shepherd who finds the lost. There is the joy of the shepherd who finds the lost. The lost. Again, we read earlier, John 10, the parable points us to Jesus, who's the good shepherd, finding us who are his lost sheep. But what's amazing about this good shepherd is that in his rescuing us, this is not a work of obligation, but this is his God-ordained purpose in coming. This is the entire reason why Jesus came. Again, look at Luke 15, 5. And when he has found it, that's the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, rejoicing, Look at me. Did you realize that Jesus is not burdened by your rescue? He's rejoicing in that you got found. Jesus rejoices every single time a sinner reaches repentance and is saved. It brings joy to Jesus' heart. It's the reason why he came. After all, the scriptures are clear. He left his throne in heaven, according to Philippians chapter 2, and he condescended by taking on the form of a servant to save us. To come and to rescue you and I. When Jesus was questioned about why he would make friends with sinners, like that man Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Do y'all remember if you grew up going to vacation Bible school or as a kid going to Sunday school, do y'all remember the story of Zacchaeus? Yes, he was a wee little man. I don't know why my voice did that. But I feel like when you talk about a wee little man, you should do it in a British accent. And so Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And so he climbed to the top of his... That's a good accent. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) And so he climbed to the top of the tree because he wanted to see as Jesus entered into Jericho what all the fuss was about. And so the Bible says that, of course, haters going to hate. And people were grumbling as to why Jesus would make friends with this sinner. And Zacchaeus wasn't a good dude. This was a guy who oppressed his people for personal gain. And so when people are grumbling against Jesus, he says, Luke nineteen ten, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And guess what? You ready? We're all Zacchaeus. Every single one of us, right? Every single one of us is a sheep without a shepherd until Jesus showed up and he came to save. And when he does this, it generates a joy in his heart unlike anything else. Again, you remember we talked about the characteristics of the shepherd that he leaves the 99 to go and pursue the one and that he then lays the one on his shoulder and he returns him to the flock rejoicing. Now, in my mind, I always visualize moments in the Bible. And in this moment, what I'm visualizing is not the shepherd returning with a frown on his face. I don't think he's got that sheep laid on his shoulders going, can you believe where he went? Like, that's what I would do. I I, I would be the kind of guy that when like I have done that with my kids. Like a few years ago, my son Coleman got separated from me. When he was little, little bitty, he got separated from me in academy. And I remember when I finally found him, even though my heart was beating fast, the first thing I did was scold him. Boy, you can't leave my side. You know what I mean? Like Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't scold him when he finds him. I imagine this shepherd with these sheep on his shoulder, grinning ear to ear. Why? Because the scripture says that he returns the sheep with rejoicing. And so there's a joy For the shepherd who finds the lost sheep. Here's the third. There is the joy of others who witness the lost getting found. There's the joy of others who witness the lost get found. The joy of God's salvation, this is the shepherd's rescue, is something that spills out and I would argue creates a contagious joy for every person who gets to witness it. Look with me again at verse 6 of Luke 15. And when he comes home, Now watch, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. I just want to say this to you in love. If the news of someone getting saved, if the news of someone who was lost getting found does anything for you other than create a supernatural joy within you, something's wrong with you. I don't care if you got beef with them or not. I don't care if you know them or not. Because the natural response for others who get to witness the lost getting found, especially for those of us who were once lost and have been found, the natural response, the only logical response is supernatural joy and excitement. This is why here at Prestonwood, we get so excited when you hear stories about kids getting saved at Adventure Week, students turning their life around at beach camp, when you hear stories about people walking the aisle and giving their life to Jesus in one of these worship services, or across the table with a friend over a cup of coffee. Why? Because you know that you were lost and you got found. And so when you get to hear the news of someone who is lost, that then gets found, all it should do in you and I is create a Supernatural joy. And when it doesn't, then there's something wrong with us. Like, have you ever seen a kid um, whose friend wins an award and they're really not that excited for him? You know what I'm saying? Y'all seen those moments when the kid's like, hey, yeah, congratulations, I voted for you. (laughs) Like, we can't have that, that cannot creep into the church as it relates to the news of salvation, as it relates to the lost getting found. Just this week, just this week, I had a friend of mine uh, call me and uh, tell me that his young son, who's uh, a first grader, uh, they were having a lot of spiritual conversations and his young son this week uh, called upon Jesus for salvation, knelt down at his bedside with his dad and gave his life to Christ. And when my buddy called me, uh, to tell me that that good news. I, I'm wondering, I, I meant to ask him this. He was in the first service. I meant, I, I'm wondering if he could hear my smile. You ever seen somebody who has a smile so big you can hear it? You know what I'm talking about? Boy, y'all are angry today. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like when somebody's got news so good, you can hear them smile. And so that's what it was because he called me to tell me his son got saved. And so this little baby who's been prayed over since his mom was carrying him in her womb, now has decided upon his own volition to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sin. And the only thing I knew to do was to celebrate with my buddy because I too was once lost and like my buddy's friend, have been found. My son Coleman had a friend text him from beach camp this week and tell him that he gave his life to Jesus while he was at the beach. And Coleman was in the breakfast room telling his mom and I about this and my son's grin was ear to ear. Because one of his buds got saved. One of his friends has forever seen his eternity redeemed. And that's what should happen. It should create this contagious joy in every single one of us when we hear the news that someone who was lost has since been found. And that leads me to number four. Four. There is a joy of heaven when the lost are found. There is a joy of heaven when the lost are found. Did you realize that? as important and good and right as holiness and godliness and right living happen to be what generates the greatest joy in heaven what generates the greatest excitement and celebration in heaven is when the lost get found when sinners get saved look at Luke 15:7 just so Jesus says I tell you there will be more joy more joy in heaven Over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I'm wondering if... The celebration in heaven is so significant because for the angelic that are there, for the angels, the created beings of God that exist for his glory and the ultimate and eternal worship of his name, I I wonder if the joy is so significant. I wonder if the celebration is so great for two reasons. One, the angels might know in a way that we could possibly understand what it is that sinners have been saved from and where it is that sinners have been saved for. Do you know what I mean? Because the angels were there in eternity past when Satan rebelled against God and fell with a third of his friends from heaven. And so they've seen the pronounced judgment. They've witnessed the open rebellion, and they know what is awaiting those who are lost and never get found. And so I'm wondering if part of the celebration, part of the excitement is because the angels know in a way that we just cannot what it is that they've been saved from. But in addition to that, I'm thinking the angels know in a very real way what it is they've been saved for. Because listen, the angels don't know about the uh, eternal dwelling of God in the abstract, like they're either there now or they've been there before. Like the angels know what it looks like to see God face to face. They've been in the presence of God. They know what it is to understand his perfection and his beauty and his majesty in person. And so I think the celebration is because they know what a sinner's been saved from, and they also know they've had a glimpse of what a sinner's been saved for. And so it generates this overwhelming sense of celebration and excitement in the heavenly places, perhaps unlike you and I might fully get our arms around here on earth. And and so I want to personalize this for you this morning. Two questions I would ask. The first one is this, who do you know that's lost? right? So for some of you, look at me, for some of you, that's you in this room watching on that screen. For some of you, you're lost. You are lost without salvation or you've lo- you're lost because you've wandered away from it. But there are lost people here today in this room watching on that screen. But others of you, you know who's lost. You have family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, you know who's lost. So that's the first question. Who is lost? And here's the second one. Who's going to go find them? Who's going to go find them? How many of you Christians, those of you who recognize you once were lost and now have been found, you are in right relationship? How many of you Christians, by show of hand, would say the way in which God found you, Was because someone was willing to share with you the good news of his gospel. How many of you would say that's you? Look around the room at all the hands that have gone up. Because somebody shared with you the good news that there's a good shepherd who's come to rescue the sheep who are lost. That's my testimony. It started with my mom and my dad pouring Jesus into me from the earliest of age. Thank you, Mom. And it culminated in 1998 with a guy who owned a ranch in Salida, Colorado, challenging me and calling me to repentance. And I was born again. Right? Who do you know that's lost? And who's going to go see that they get found? Here's what I would just say, family. Found people, find people. That's our job. This is our opportunity. I, I was so fortunate this week. I did a I was out of town for just a few days. Had to take an Uber to the airport and to the hotel, and then to dinner and right. So, in every single uh, a car ride, in every single Uber, someone from our group was sharing the good news of the gospel with one of the drivers that took us there. Such an encouragement, such a great reminder. Found people, find people, and all of you know somebody who needs to be found. Some of you are those people. You're lost without salvation. You've wandered away from it, but either way, you're lost. And I think the hound of heaven is chasing you. And so the challenge for you this morning is this, and here's the invitation and how we'll close. If you are here today and you are lost, you're either lost without salvation or you're lost because you've wandered away from it. What if today is the day, this Father's Day, that God wants you to get found? And so I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment uh, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and you'll have an invitation to come forward and to share with someone. I'm lost and, and I think Jesus means for me to be found. Today I want to give my life to Christ. I want to return. I want to reach repentance. I want to be like that prodigal and come to the end of myself. But others of you, maybe you need to pray today for someone who's lost. You have a family member. You're married to someone who is far from God. You have a child who is far from God. You have a coworker or a friend who is far from God. They're lost found people find people and it starts when we pray that we would pray that God would see them and reach them and if he chooses to you and I to use you and I to be an instrument that does that good work then all the praise goes to him but I'm going to challenge you whatever God is speaking to your heart that you would be obedient to respond to just that you know the invitation in our church is something that's unique uh, to us here at Prestonwood and one of the things I would just ask of you especially in a room that's this smaller for those of you that are watching in the loft is that this is a sensitive part of the morning. So if you could limit your movement as much as possible, and if you belong to God, if you would just use this time to pray that God would stir in the hearts of his people and that we might be obedient to respond to what it is that he's doing. Found people, find people. And if you're lost, God wants to find you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for all that you have done. I thank you for who you are. And I would ask, God, as we move into this time of invitation and this worship response, that we would be a people who are obedient to what it is that you would ask us to do. God, thank you for finding us. Thank you for finding me. And Lord Jesus, I pray for every person who is listening to my voice right now. Father, that if they're lost... And without or if they're lost and they've wandered away, that today would be the day that they get found. Father, we love you. We can't do this without you. We pray to you and through you. In Jesus' good name, amen.